The Matt Hasselbeck Show. Presented by Infinity of Bellevue and Linwood. Seahawks legend Matt Hasselbeck takes you inside the Seahawks and the NFL for a full hour. Exclusively on the Mike Sox Show. Hello, Matt. Good to have you this week. How are we doing? Well, it's been an odd week. I'm not going to lie here in Seattle. A lot of excitement last night with a, a winter sports franchise finally here. After yeah. uh, well over a decade, that was a blast last night. Yeah, that was very cool. That was very cool. I mean, I couldn't stay up that late out here in Boston, but that was really cool to see. And, uh, you know, hockey's huge here. So to see hockey in Seattle is uh, is really neat. You like it's the exciting. uniforms? You like the, the bright white? Love, there? love, love the cool colors. I actually am a fan of that alternate logo. Yeah. So I like the S, but that alternate, like, uh, I don't want to screw like it up. The Space Needle Anchor thing? It's really cool. Yeah, it's really cool. I've got a I've got a hat coming to me with that logo. I'm go. excited about it. I like when they have the serpent kind of wrap around the Space Needle logo. I think that's pretty sweet. I like the whole yeah. thing though. I'm, I'm into yeah, it. yeah. It's creative and it's awesome and it's great that we have a franchise. Um, very excited. So that's obviously the good news. The bad news is we talked to you Wednesday. The next night, Russell, uh, you know, injures the finger. We now know what mallet finger is here in Seattle, which we didn't know before. <laughs> now what? Yeah. What Most you, linemen know what that means. Oh, yeah. I bet they do. Um, but they don't have to throw a ball. There's no exactly. way he could have played through that, right? Uh, well, I mean, you never know, like, until you try. And, you know, I've had injuries where uh, you, you're not sure. You, you're like, hey, they ask, they'll ask you, hey, can you go? And you're like, I, I don't know. I need to give me a ball, and then I'll tell you. And then that's it looks like that's what he did, where it was like, uh, hey, I'm hurt, but, um, you know, I, I, I'm okay. Like, I can do it probably. Give me a ball. And then we just saw the look on his face, and he was trying, and he was trying, and it's not so much a matter of uh, pain; it's more of a matter of function. Like, it does it work? And uh, you know, so that was super disappointing for him to have to watch the end of that game. Um, so yeah, I, I feel for him for sure. How impressive is nine plus year? I mean, all of those starts in a row. How impressive is that? Yeah, it's it's really impressive. And, you know, that's one of the things I see a lot of these quarterbacks now, young guys, some older guys, you know, Lamar Jackson, you know, some of these guys that are really doing it with their arm and their legs, but uh, they're taking a beating. And I, I always thought that early on Seattle did such a great job with the, using Russell Wilson with the zone read game where he, they would close out games. It was him and Marshawn. They would close out games, but he was not taking big hits. He'd run out of bounds. He'd get nine yards and slide. And then so you're at least minimizing the risk a little bit because he is going to hold the ball in the pocket and make those Houdini-type plays. But now at least the risk factor of staying healthy was lower. And and uh, it's been really, really impressive, the longevity, but not only the longevity, but also just playing at a high level. Well, and of course, you know, he gets hurt just on a throw in the pocket, right? It, it's none of that that ends up injuring him for the first time in his career and causing him to miss games. It's just a regular old throw from the pocket where Aaron Donald just got a little too close and, you know, sort of a freak thing, of course. Yeah, well, Steve Young would tell you, you know, and I, I used to work with him and and basically he, to me, is like one of the first um, really, really mobile quarterbacks. But he would tell you it is more dangerous in that pocket. Like you're, you're someone's rolling up on your your ankle they're rolling up on your knees your, your follow-through is going to hit a helmet or a or a bicep like Aaron Donald's you know it's just, like that's where that's where the danger is and then you know when I watched Brett Favre when I was his backup for the first three years of my career you know he had the streak going still has the streak in terms of like staying healthy or playing in games and he would always just keep his feet moving and he, he was like it's dangerous in there I got to keep my feet moving and uh, so we'd kind of make fun of him a little bit because of how active he was after he'd throw the ball. 
but clearly it was uh, it was a good way to not get hurt and and uh, you know you just you just kind of hope for the best and got to get a little bit fortunate. Was there a moment with Favre? I mean, like where where he either had to tough through something crazy that you were there for uh, to keep the streak alive, or you thought it was going to end? You know, I don't know about the crazy Cal Ripken rumors or anything like that. But like, was there was there a moment where you thought, oh yeah, this thing is going to not continue? But Favre found a way to make it happen. For sure, like so many times. I can't even tell you how many times. We're play, we played Monday night down in Tampa, and he leaves the game, and everyone, including his wife, told me, like, hey, he's going to miss time, he's going to miss time. During the week in practice, he was in a walking boot. Uh, Friday practice, he's got a size 13 shoe on one foot, a size 15 shoe on the other, uh, just to see if he can go. And I'm like, there's no way. There's no way I'm going to get my first start. I was, like, ready to go. I was all excited. He somehow plays in the game plays in the game and plays amazing he's like nfc player of the week um and there were other times where he was hurt and banged up and we just happened to have a bye the next week i mean the the level of toughness was off the charts but also the level of uh just like things that just kind of came like sort of aligned so that he was able to get that extra day or get that extra week but um Truly, truly, the guy was unbelievable at playing through injury and not just playing through injury, playing really, really well through injury. That 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 was uh, amazing to see firsthand up close and personal. Well, I won't set you up for uh, obviously getting yourself in trouble by asking who was tougher, Brett Favre or Steve Hutchinson. But we do have Hutch on the line right now, a former teammate of yours. And I'm guessing one of the tougher players you ever played with. Hey, no doubt. And Hutch, Hutch can speak to Brett Favre because Hutch played with him uh, in Minnesota. What's Hutch. up, Hutch? What's up, fellas? How we doing? We're great. We're talking about the toughness of uh, Brett Favre and uh, seeing it up close and personal. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Well, the thing about Brett is he, he is one of the toughest guys I've ever played with, but he'll let you know about it, too. So if he has an injury or he, he's got you know his ankle, like you, know, like, like you were saying, Matt, one day he'll show up, his ankle will be the size of a cantaloupe. And he'll show everybody in the locker room, you know. And then, but then he'll go out there and do it. So you can't really say anything. Um, but that's that's Brett. Um, he wasn't going to miss a start. He he really didn't care um, what it took. I mean, well, you know, probably better than anybody, Matt. Like, what's the story? The 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 game in Dallas was it the Thanksgiving game where he literally super glued a tongue depressor to his finger or something just so he could play. Yeah, um, it's crazy. That was, it was crazy. Like he he does all kinds of stuff. What uh, what's the worst injury that you had to play through, Hutch? You know, I've all I I always had shoulder issues. Um, you, you know, I, it always seemed to be something that happened early in the season that you just kind of play through. Um, and then I was always I came from the school of thought where you know if I if I were to make a Pro Bowl, I was earn earn my way in the Pro Bowl, get voted in. I I, I felt like I was. You know, it was an honor, and I wanted to play, and probably wasn't always the smartest thing—an extra game on top of it. But um, clearly, when I broke my leg, you can't do anything about that. Um, but a shoulder injury, something that you have to get cleaned up or operated on after the season, um, those things kind of dragged on. You know, especially when you're play- making it in the postseason. And back in the day, where we actually played four preseason games and played in a lot of the snaps i mean it just kind of adds up well, i definitely feel like the uh, bump in the log here we got steve hutchinson joining us with matt hasselbeck and you know i'm just me and 
Uh, I appreciate you coming on with us today, Steve. The the emotions last week had to be high. You talk about being honored. You were honored here in Seattle with your Hall of Fame ring. You received the ring here. Uh, I know you, you've been back here, I think, since you left the first time. But what was it like being in the building on Thursday night and receiving that honor? It was great. You know, I've I've actually been employed by the Seahawks for the last three or four years in a in a scouting consulting role. Um, so I'm back in Seattle um, quite often. Uh, with the exception of last year with COVID, obviously. But, you know, I'm back there three to four weeks a year for draft meetings or um, the end of camp or something. So I'm kind of used to being back around the facility. The, the stadium, though, was a different setting. Um, as, as we all know, when I left Seattle after the 2005 season, um, you know, that, that was, uh, it was it's still to this day a sore subject in a lot of circles. Um, and so for me, to, it was important for me to go back where it all started for me and, and get that ring and be able to address the crowd and let them know how much it meant to me to be a part of those teams that built up to make that first Super Bowl run for, for Seattle. And, and uh, it was special to see, you know, the crowd kind of accept it and embrace it and go cheer and all that. It was, it was, for me, it was, a, it was, it was something I'd, I'd look forward to for a while. Do you remember the first time you met Matt? I don't remember the specific first time. I, I remember it was right after I got drafted. You know, we had the we had the mini camp uh, two weeks after practice, or uh, two weeks after the draft, I should say. And I flew in, and I and I want to say I kind of met him, kind of standing by the old equipment room window. Um, I think I was trying to get you know my uniform or my practice gear or something, and I think he kind of came up and introduced himself. Well, I'm mistaken, but. Um, yeah, I mean, I, you know, um, <laughs> there's, there's a lot of guys I could say, I just, you know, it's funny. You see these guys, you talk to these guys and where we've come, you know, where we started, where we are now, it's Robbie Tobeck and all these guys, but you know, to, to, to look back and at that, at that time in 2001, just a rookie, I know there was a lot of expectations for me and none put on, none put on any harder than myself on myself. But, um, it's just funny to see first full circle, how close we all are friends now and, and and how you know how, how, all, all the things we've been through, but uh, but yeah, no, Matt, Matt, uh, I think Matt and I were in the same boat. You know, we came in, we're expected to be the guy right off the bat, and um, of course, Matt had been in the league for three years, but um, we looked at each other like, I'm gonna I'm gonna try to protect you. <laughs> You're gonna try to try to get us uh, in the end zone, and um, it's just funny how, how how far we've come. Yeah, Hutch, I, I remember that first mini camp after the draft and all the coaches like kind of were whispering to me, like, you have no idea how good this guy is. We drafted Corin Robinson and Steve Hutchinson that year in the first round and they were just, you know, basically just gassing him up so much. So the first, at the end of the first practice, I'm having the offense like break down and I say, uh, and he's a rookie and I'm like, all right, Hutch, break us down, you know, like offense on three and the look of sort of like disrespect I got from the older guys. Chris Gray, Robbie Tobeck, you know, Walter Jones, Walter Jones, because there's a hierarchy in that O-line room. And they were like, wait, you just asked our rookie to break us down? Like, what are you doing? I, I got I got a little carried away with the uh, the scouting reports I was getting uh, behind the scenes, I guess. <laughs> yeah, no, I probably – I can imagine. I could just see the look on Robbie's face right now. I mean, it, you know, Walt, Walt – who, who knows if Walt was even paying attention. But Robbie and Chris for sure were uh, – <laughs> We're, uh, we're, we're, we're probably like, what are you doing? 
you know, it's funny. Brock, I think, tells a story, and I think he's told this on the. I think he's told this on the air. I hope I'm not screwing this up, Hutch. About you as a rookie, and and coming in and having to face. I don't know who it would have been on the defensive line, but somebody who was just you know who was great. And you're like, man, I, I don't even know whether I can do this in the NFL. And obviously, you you figured it out, went on to the Hall of Fame career. But do you remember those moments of sort of trepidation oh, yeah. at the beginning? Well, I. I always tell the story, and I'm sure he's probably I, – I might be referring to this story. So we're playing we're playing the Dolphins at UW Stadium 2001. And this is like uh, – it was early in the season. It was October. Um, and so they, they had – you know, of course, they had, a, they had a really good front seven, you know. Um, but the guy I specifically was going against was Daryl Gardner. And Daryl Gardner, if you don't remember, was literally one of the largest humans – I've ever seen, and not and not like, not like a big like a Gilbert Brown's large. Like this guy was like six 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 seven. He had a complete. He looked like a, a transformer. Like he was like trim waist, <laughs> beat up. His back was wide. Like this guy was like a monster. And so, in those days, and that in that time, Miami was playing like an even front defense, which means both guards were covered. They didn't have a traditional true nose guard over the center. Well, Robbie Toback, being the, the smart Alec he is, he just, like, he's, he's uncovered all day, right? So all his job is to do is kind of help out where he's needed uh, in pass protection because he doesn't have a guy lined up on him. So it's towards the end of the – it was right at the end of the first quarter. We, were, we had the ball. We were down driving, quarter ends. You know, we, we go – both teams start walking to the other end of the field to set up for the second quarter. And Daryl Gardner – goes to me he goes hey rookie you keep playing you keep playing hard and, and like and Tobek which if you got to know Robbie I mean I'm sure you guys do mm-hmm. I mean I know Matt does but Robbie's going uh keep playing hard he's kicking your feet you know <laughs> and I'm sitting there going I'm going no sir I'm not I'm just trying to do my job just like don't listen to him like I'm just they pay me to do this I'm just I'm just trying to keep you away from the quarterback and so I'm like, Robbie, shut the hell up. You're not even blocking anybody. But that's Tobek. You know, that's, that's kind of sums up our old line group, too. I mean, we just we, – we, we were the tightest group um, of any team on any group I've ever played on, that, that Seattle group up front. And, uh, but that's kind of how we made each other better. I mean, it was uh, – we always had a healthy competition and a, a healthy way of pushing each other. And, but we had each other's back. And um, those are the times. Those are the stories you miss. Good stuff. Hutch, congratulations. For and sure. uh, the Hall of Fame thing is obviously there's no bigger honor for, for a person who played in the NFL to get that ring, and I love the idea of doing it here in Seattle. Congratulations and continue good luck. I appreciate it. Thank you're, you. You're the best, Hutch. Thanks, Hutch. Love you, man. Thanks, man. Talk to you. All right, there you go. Steve Hutchinson uh, calling right in to the Matt Hasselbeck Show. You're really just kind of moving in and setting up shop here, Matt. You just bring your friends over. I can't take any credit for that. I I just love that, though, Robbie Tobek writing checks from Hutch's bank account, talking smack to the guy that he has to block all day, not the guy that Tobek's blocking all day. No, of course not. That's really great. It's really great. You know, Walter Jones yelled at me for that one time. I was talking talking smack to Joey Porter in the Super Bowl. And uh, Joey Porter, I wasn't blocking Joey Porter all day. Walter Jones was, and he was like hey 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 just please don't do that he's just gonna incite him just, like just, just let, tone it let, down. i got this just 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 walk away that group was pretty Classic. close i've heard that before and I, we've heard that from tobag and i know waltz talked about that it must have been unique to be around that that group of offensive linemen 
It really was great, and they're really smart guys. You know, there's always, like, these jokes about offensive linemen and, you know, like, whatever the the standard jokes are. But this was the brightest group on our team. They were the most uh, uh, clock awareness, just uh, X's and O's, you know, just really all of it. It was an impressive group. And to see Hutch get to come back, because he left, you know, in the, under the poison pill mm-hmm. uh, situation, kind of left in a in sort of a bad way, and it really kind of affected us in, in a lot of different ways. But to see him being able to kind of come full circle and – you know, he mentioned he's doing scouting for the Seahawks now, which is great. But to, to do it there publicly in front of the fans, uh, to just kind of show who he really is and, and how much uh, our times together uh, in Seattle meant uh, was was really, really cool. And, of course, the night before I wasn't able to be out, th- able to be out there, but I'm getting like 1 a.m. FaceTimes from Max Strong and Hutch and, you know, all these guys that, you know, I don't know where they were or what they were doing, probably smoking cigars somewhere together and, and uh, thinking I'm going to pick up a FaceTime at one thirty in the morning. No, um, you don't do that? Pr- pretty. Uh, not for them. What does Sarah Mike, say my... if you do that? If you just pick up one of those one thirty FaceTimes, is she happy with that or not? You know what? Anybody who has kids like in college, like the, your uh, phone's kind of always on alert. So you get like that one thirty a.m. call like as a parent, like you're, you're picking it up. But you just you kind of you're on call all the time as a parent. But uh, but buddies. when it's when it's Max Strong, uh, <laughs> you know, that one can probably wait the next day. Yeah. Uh, I got uh, a texter here, Matt, who thinks I am tougher than I've given myself credit for. He says, don't downplay yourself, Salk. I'm sure you've gone on the air a couple of times with a sore throat or maybe even a little tired. So <laughs> I feel like I'm sort of in that category with Russ or maybe. Maybe Brett Favre. Yeah. Does does hungover count as tired? I'm just I'm asking for somebody else. I mean, I wouldn't uh, know. I have hungover. Yeah. Make any sense to me? Uh, let's bring it back to Russ for a minute or two because this is obviously. I mean, we haven't seen this since Russ got here. He's never missed a game. He's barely missed a snap since showing up here in Seattle. And the, let's say it is three weeks, uh, which is sort of what the estimate looks like. We'll see Geno Smith for three games uh, against first Pittsburgh, then New Orleans, and then Jacksonville. What do you think we can learn about this team, about the about Russell, about the offense, about Shane Waldron by not having him in there for a little while? Yeah, well, there there can be positives out of this, right? Like, because it's not like everyone else is playing all that great right now. Like, there's some some people that are doing their job. There's others that are not getting it done. So this kind of brings it back into like, hey, we have to play assignment football. We can't just kind of play hero football. We can't play we can't play defense like we know. Well, Russell Wilson and DK and Tyler, they'll just you know they'll they'll bail us out if we get down too much. And you know, on offense, hey, we can't. um, you know, we can't get away from sort of this Pete Carroll formula that he knows that he believes in how this team was built. You know, run the ball, run the ball, you know, uh, take shots when they're there and make it happen. Like there's a there's a formula that, that Pete believes in. And, you know, I think that maybe they've gotten away from it a little bit at times because of the other stuff that they're talented enough to do. But this could maybe be a situation where for the next three weeks, say hey, this team kind of, um, you know, gets back to fundamentals and technique and stuff like that. And then when Russell is able to come back, it's just uh, kind of an added bonus. He's almost like he's coming back to a more talented or more effective team. You had a couple injuries in your career, right, where you missed a few games and, and were forced to watch. What did you learn during that time of being forced to watch your team? Yeah, it's incredibly frustrating. I would say that number one, like it's incredibly frustrating. You know, the 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 early things that I learned are different than the later things that I learned. Like early in my career, when I got hurt, I was I basically was watching Trent Dilfer come in, and there were certain things that happened with him. Like I've used the example before, like second in one under no circumstances were we ever going to throw the ball. We were going to use tempo, and we were going to get a running play called, and that was kind of a Trent Dilfer, Mike Holmgren. Um, 
thing to sort of help the offensive line, help the offensive line have a great day, take advantage of second and one. If you get a two-yard run on second and one, that's a success for us. It's a huge success, and it sort of helps out the O-line. Later in my career, I learned, I think I learned things more about the communication, how it's working on the sidelines between wide receiver groups and their coach, maybe running back groups and their coach, understanding how it is important to spread the ball around and get the ball you know, get each guy feeling like they're involved in the game. Um, you know, there was a stretch there when Bobby Ingram was our just kind of our third down specialist where he literally wouldn't even come on the field sometimes until like third down. And that was his only chance to touch the ball. But being on the sidelines, getting to see how, hey, he's just not in a rhythm. It's been 16 minutes since he's touched the football, mm. you know, understanding things like that. So I'm not exactly sure, you know, what what exactly Russ is going to learn. But I do know this. He will be leading from the sideline. He may not be under center, but he'll be helping Gino. He'll be helping the offensive line. He'll be kind of like, sometimes I call it great marinara sauce over uh, yesterday's pasta. It's like he's going to do things that are not, maybe not necessarily, um, you know, you can't even explain it. You just know it's super, super, super important. Mm. And, and so the fact that he's going to be able to be on the sidelines, I think will help the team. Well, and it's interesting. He doesn't have to be on the sidelines, right? We've had these conversations before, like, why isn't player X on the sidelines? Why are they up in the suite or not at the game or this, that, and the other I would assume Russell will be there on the sidelines, right? Usually that's a, like a safety issue. So like I know like if you've got say you torn your your you have a torn MCL or something and you're on mm. crutches, they don't want you on the sidelines because, you know, if a play happens on the sidelines, you can't protect yourself. That's not what we want. So I I think that's usually determined by uh kind of a health and safety thing. Oh, I, that never even dawned on me that that would be the case. That makes perfect sense and certainly with a finger he should be all right. To be over there, I got to imagine this is just killing him. Um, and I and I do also think if he comes back quickly, if we see him at the the front end of this three to four weeks, um, that that says something about his investment still in Seattle. And there are all these questions about whether Russ is interested in being here long term. And you know, they're speculating on it. Uh, Greg Olson was speculating before the game on Thursday night. If he's back in four weeks, I got to imagine he's still at least somewhat invested in trying to play here, right? Well, I would imagine so. I mean, to what you what you do in terms of putting your body on the line each and every week, I mean, you better be all the way invested, and, and I believe that he is. Uh, you know, I, I think the other thing that's going to happen is that he's going to be in more of a coach's mode for this, you know, almost a month here. And so he and Shane will have opportunities instead of, like, he's running plays at practice and Shane's watching them and calling them. You know, Shane will be calling plays of practice and Russell and Shane will be kind of together, sort of talking through each of these plays as they're happening, mm. both at practice and both in games. And so, you know, like time spent on task, I think you kind of just get more invested even, you know, that way. So uh, it'll be really interesting to see. But I do know this. It's not like you have a little break. It's not like it's like a little vacation. It's very important to stay fit and, you know, do all the other things. Train your body as if you're playing a game because, uh, when that time is, I mean, three weeks sounds really f early to me. I would have guessed more like four or five weeks. Well, it's four weeks, three games is what I should have said. Yeah. Gotcha. Okay. Gotcha. They got the buy in there so they, they can go three, three games in four weeks in theory. It's always funny how like uh, coaches have such a high tolerance for their players' pain. You know, the doctor will be like, "Oh, it's six to eight weeks," and they're like, "All right, great, you'll be back in six weeks." <laughs> it's like, Thanks. you know, it's really, it's really it's just because coaches but, uh, are optimists. You know that all coaches yeah, are optimists. Well, sure, and, and and honestly, that's the best way to to approach it. And I think any athlete, if if a doctor tells you. 
hey, it's going to be six weeks, you're saying it's going to be five. If he says it's five, it's going to be four. Mm-hmm. And, and that's kind of the mindset that you that you approach uh, rehab with. All right, you guys know the voice. It's Matt Hasselbeck. He joins us for the whole hour every Wednesday at 9 o'clock in 20 minutes. We're going to have him rank the most freakishly athletic players he saw here in Seattle. And why? Well, because I think we're watching an all-timer right now. We'll ask Matt about him as well. Coming up next, don't go anywhere. Mike Salk Show with Matt Hasselbeck here, 710 ESPN Seattle. The Matt Hasselback Show, presented by Infinity of Bellevue and Linwood. Every Wednesday from 9 to 10. Powered through the Alaska Airlines Studio. On 710 ESPN Seattle. Yeah, we're rolling on here with Matt Hasselback. We do this every Wednesday for the entire 9 o'clock hour. So if you're just tuning in, make this a regular part of your week. Uh, 9.45, as we've done every week, Matt will rank things. I think that's been the most fun. Matt's had some really good... Good lists. We work, work hard on these, man. Is this hey, it's just stressful. Hey, it's stressful, these top fives. Of course. You don't want to leave anybody out. You don't want to hurt anybody's feelings. Yeah. Oh, I don't mind that. I don't mind that. Okay, I don't good. mind that at all. I just, I just want to make it a great list. That's all. <laughs> all right. We'll do that uh, coming up in 15 minutes. And uh, it's some of it, our list today was born out of just watching Lamar Jackson on Monday night. Uh, you're obviously working with that Monday night crew. And, and is he the most exciting player in the league right now to you? Yeah, it's either him or it's either him or Kyler Murray. I mean, Lamar is just at a whole nother level. Uh, we have got this thing on our Sunday NFL Countdown morning show that we call it. So the all ridiculous team, uh, Teddy Bruschi came up with it, and mm-hmm. Lamar is definitely on the all ridiculous team. He basically, Teddy was saying, as a defender. It's kind of like when the quarterback is more elusive than your best punt returner. That's Lamar Jackson. But the problem is with Kyler right now, he's, he's doing it uh, in, in similar ways. So there's, it's almost like there's more than one Lamar Jackson right now and with, uh, with Kyler Murray and Lamar. But Lamar has definitely been the guy that has put the team on his back and uh, has just been taking a beating in the process. So uh, I love it. I love watching it, but I just, I cringe every time I see it. I'm just like, how is this guy going to play a, basically a, a 20 game season? It, that's, that's hard to do. He is. I mean, his, he does a lot of freakish things. Obviously I'm always amazed by his ability to move backwards quickly where it looks like he's about to get hit and he can almost jump backwards and then accelerate forwards. It's, it's remarkable. He is, he as close to anything we've seen compared to Michael Vick. Yeah, I, I mean, Michael Vick was the guy in, in, in our generation. He was that guy. But I think what, what really um, is intriguing about Lamar Jackson is he's got this amazing, and always has, even back to when he was put the quarterback in Louisville, he's got this amazing connection with tight ends. And a lot of times it's usually like quarterback, wide receiver, but Lamar Jackson and his tight ends, the numbers are just astounding. Uh, and so... You know, like I think like him and and, uh, Mark Andrews and, you know, I could be biased because Bobby Ingram is the tight end coach there in Baltimore. But the numbers are really, really speak to it. And then you got the head coach that just believes in him. Like any fourth down, John Harbaugh is just like, hey, Lamar, you want to go for this? And Lamar's like, hey, you know, okay, let's go. And (laughs) they do it. And then it it works almost because of, hey, I believe in you kind of thing. And um, just how it was uh, with you at home, right? <laughs> no, you know what it was? When he would get mad at me, he'd be like, "All right, tough guy, fourth down. All right, we're gonna just go for this right here. You got no choice. If you want to act like a superstar, you better uh, you better play like one." So uh, that that put me in my place real quick. If Michael okay. if if Michael Vick played today, in in this era rather than the era he played in, do you think he'd be much more successful with some of the new 
forms of offense and and more open-minded coaches, et cetera? I think the biggest change that you see is you've got this um, – you've kind of got like the run, the RPO game, right? That's like a whole nother factor of it. So I think the team, the offense, would be so much more successful. Like I look at uh, Arizona right now. No one is running the ball more out of a four-wide receiver set than Arizona. And they're able to do it because they, they basically are doing a pretend zone read. Like they're faking, you basically have to honor that they might do the zone read, even though they're really not running it much with Kyler. You have to have one or two guys kind of stay home. And now you've got James Conner, a tough physical runner running inside. So I think that it's not necessarily that Kyler's numbers are going way up, um, but you have to honor the run. So like to your question about Michael Vick, I just think that the running backs that he would have played with, the they would have had way better looks to run the ball because those defensive end, those high-priced Michael Strahan-type guys back then who their only job was to rush the passer, they would have been a fish out of water sitting there like, okay, wait, now I'm outside contain mm-hmm. on Michael Vick. I, I, I have to choose Michael Vick or commit to the run, and that would have been a that would have been kind of a deal-breaker for the style of play that some of those guys had. Reggie White, uh, maybe even DeMarcus Ware, you know, great pass rushers, but... It's just a different game there for for outside rushers now. You guys are going to have Buffalo uh, on Monday night this week. Um, Josh Allen is a player that confounds me because when he came in, I thought he was terrible. Uh, I apparently am wrong because he's been really good since then. But he's improved his accuracy during that time. And it's something Brock has always told me that you can't do. He said basically, you know, whatever your accuracy or whatever your accuracy is, that's what it'll be. You can only improve it so much. And yet he seems to fly in the face of that. Yeah, I'm not so much sure if it was like accuracy as much it was as it was he had no idea where to look. Like when I broke down his college tape at Wyoming, he had not played a ton of football in high school or hadn't played like high level football, I should say. He was bigger, stronger, faster and can throw the ball better than everyone he ever played against. But he never knew, like, he wasn't looking in the right spot. So, like, the, the closest thing I could, uh, like, equate it to, you know, in terms of accuracy is, like, if you go out and golf at a really tough golf course, sort of just by yourself versus, like, the best caddy that knows the course. Like, if you're aiming at the wrong thing or you're looking at the wrong thing, and I'm trying to put it by that tree, well, that's the wrong tree. You're gonna, you need to be over here. Mm-hmm. That, that's kind of, like, the equation. I think Josh Allen's a great example of, like, what can happen with a, a well-rounded athlete when he gets into a system with great coaching. I think Brian Dayball is uh, one of the most underrated offensive coordinators in football. He'll be a head coach if he wants to be next year. And the job that he and Ken Dorsey have done, not only with accuracy, but just also understanding command at the line of scrimmage and uh, how to pick up blitzes. I mean, really, there's not a quarterback better in the NFL at picking up the blitz with audibles at the line of scrimmage at recognizing it as on the fly as it happens. He is uh, he's as advertised. And, you know, I've said it many times, if it wasn't for uh, Aaron Rodgers last year, I think Josh Allen would have been the MVP of the league. It's remarkable. Honestly, I mean, I, I guess I was just wrong. I just watched him as a rookie and I just saw. I saw a guy that didn't look like he belonged at the position, but I guess what you're saying is makes makes sense. If I'm a, go- I mean, I wish I could put a ball, a golf ball where I wanted to. Obviously, I can't. Uh, I proved that at Chelan Muni certainly over the weekend, where I was. <laughs> we don't need to talk about how that ended, but but if I were just always aiming in the wrong spot, I would look like I don't belong there. I mean, uh, the the golf course that makes perfect sense to me is Chambers Bay out near Tacoma. We were there just uh, two days ago. I brought Justin there for the first time. 
you know, and like the the caddy will be like, okay, put it right up here, you know, halfway there. You're like, what? No way, that's not right. I would never do that in a million years. And then you you do what the caddy says, and it's like, oh wow, you're 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 spot on. And then you build that trust, and then you're now you're getting coached as you go. I think that's kind of what has happened hmm. to Josh Allen. He was just always the best athlete, just going out there doing it on his own. Hey, this feels right. I don't know. And now he's in a, just a really really fertile soil in terms of a great coaching staff. Really great wide receiver weapons. Uh, they've drafted well. The defense is good. Home field advantage. They they got a really really nice thing going in Buffalo. Yeah, it's nice to have some of that stuff and and not have to carry it entirely by yourself. Which is I think a lot of what we've watched here with Russ over the last couple of years. As as the talent level of the roster has gone down, the expectations for him have gone up. Yeah, I mean, just one more thing on Buffalo, like to to just like hammer home this point of like how much respect people around the league have for uh, the coaching staff there. Mitchell Trubisky had an opportunity to go places and compete to be the starting quarterback uh, from Chicago. They didn't do his, you know, they didn't re 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 up him. He chose to go back up in Buffalo where he knows he's very likely not going to play just to get coached up mm. to really hone his skills so that he can sort of like take two steps back and one step or, or sorry, one step back and two steps forward uh, to be ready to go as somebody starter next year. Uh, you know, this is a guy that, you know, came out um, as the number two pick overall, went to a pro bowl and then just kind of like struggled a little bit. But and it's just like, I think there's just like a, across the league, a lot of respect for, for how Buffalo does things offensively. Good stuff. All right. More of Matt Hasselbeck coming up in a moment. As I said, he's been working on his list all day. He's ready to rank <laughs> the most freakishly athletic players he saw here. Will any of them measure up to Lamar Jackson? You'll have to stick around and find out. It's Matt Hasselbeck show here on 710 ESPN Seattle. Got a list? Time to put it in order. Fred Dwarmfor's house. Top five. Top five meals that I have ever had. This is ranked. To be honest, that list was really biased. Brought to you by Carter Volkswagen. Every morning at 945 on the Mike Salk Show. That top ten list. I'm not buying that. Ranked. Yeah, Matt, you know the bloom has come off your rose. You're getting attacked finally by the text machine, which I like. 425 says, actually, Matt, I think the best way for Trubisky to get back to being a starter is to not let anyone see him play, which might end those chances. Wow. Okay. I'll keep the receipts on that one, but okay. Oh. <laughs> I love Trubisky Earl Thomas movie. there. To be honest, that list was really biased. My, my list is biased, too. <laughs> Good. It should be. <laughs> so most freakishly athletic players that you saw while you were here in Seattle, this is based on Lamar Jackson just being just otherworldly athletic and watching him on Monday night. Who were the five most athletic freaks you played with? Uh, I mean, shoot! I mean, that the, when I think Lamar Jackson, I was going to say Robbie Tobeck, number five, but I can't. I can't follow Lamar Jackson with Robbie Tobeck. No. I mean, he was our center, but was recruited as a basketball player. You know, a three hundred pound dude who, like, you can see dunk a basketball. Who's not very tall, but he won't make the top five. Number five, I'm going to go with Walter Jones instead. Walter Jones was three hundred and twenty five pounds. They would say left tackle, but we would watch him, the younger version of Walter Jones. He was so amazing. His footwork was wrong. His technique was wrong. And yet he won every block, run game, pass game. Walter Jones would push Cadillacs in the offseason as his workout programs. Didn't lift weights. He would just push his own Escalade. That's what he did in the offseason. So he's my number five. All right, number four. Number four. Okay, this is kind of weird, but this is a true story, okay? The guy on our team that could throw the ball the furthest when I was the quarterback for the Seahawks 
was our backup running back, Maurice Morris from Oregon, the Oregon Duck. Maurice Morris could throw the football 80 yards. He used to bet people after practice, you think I could throw it 80 yards? They'd be like, heck no. And this dude would throw it 80 yards. Wasn't a great passer. Like, we couldn't do halfback passes with him or stuff like that. But in terms of how far can I just (laughs) throw it, like a javelin, Maurice Morris was amazing. Like Kyle Bowler. Kind of, yeah, exactly. Great, great call. All right. Number three. Number three, we had this wide receiver named Jeremy Urban. Went to Division Three Trinity. Mm-hmm. Wide receiver. Fastest guy on the team every year that he was on our team. But, funny thing, he was actually stronger than all of our tight ends as well. I mean, it was just really unbelievable the, the ability that this guy had. And really didn't even play a lot of, uh, a lot of college football. He was a track guy, track star. Uh, and he's actually now the head football coach down at his school at Trinity University. But we used to play this game called Ultimate Football in the offseason. It's kind of like Ultimate Frisbee, but you play it uh, with a football. And you play it, you know, at the, at the football facility there. There's 200-yard fields next to each other. And he was always the first guy drafted, always, in Ultimate Football. He was just like this well-rounded athlete. And uh, it was him or another guy, always the top pick. Mm. But, you know, again, on and off our practice squad, but you would take that guy any day of the week in Ultimate Football. So we got Walter Jones, Maurice Morris, Jeremy Urban, number two. Number two, a guy I think Seahawks fans know, John Ryan, the punter. Listen, you know, you don't normally think of the punter as this, uh, you know, amazing athlete but john john ryan absolutely was he was a third round pick into the cfl draft as a wide receiver and a punter in college he's got a record for an 109 yard touchdown catch like how do you even do that it's from canada so you know maybe there's different rules up there that i'm not fully aware of but uh john ryan he's he had that unbelievable fake field goal in uh in one of the big playoff games for seattle but john ryan uh punters don't get enough credit he certainly Great, I'm talking great athlete. I got a quibble. That's the same guy who ran the fake punt and then fumbled and got clocked. You remember John Ryan, the fumble it, running down it, the field? That was not it, an athletic moment. It's kind of like saying, is Carl Lewis a great uh, athlete? You know what I mean? Like, he, he's not great at throwing the ball. Throwing okay. the ball is kind of like, there's some non-athletes that are good at throwing the ball. Okay. But, like, in terms of just, like, shocking, shocking speed, I should say. Okay. Um, I think he Ryan. shocked himself on that play. He was running too fast to hold on to the ball. So he is number two ahead of some wide receivers and Walter Jones. Who is the number one freak athletic player you played with here in Seattle? Number one, no question, my guy, Seneca Wallace. I mean, Seneca was my backup quarterback for most of the time uh, that, that he was in Seattle. and But there was a play in the 2005 NFC Championship game where we put him in to run a slant and go on their best corner which was a huge play for us. We scored, I think, maybe on the next play. Uh, but he was not only a great, I think, a great talent at quarterback. In 2008, we had, you know, basically a bunch of, like, uh, I would say wide receiver talent wasn't what it always was. Seneca Wallace, like, goes into the coach's room, and he's like, hey, if that's who you're going to put out there at wide receiver, let me play wide receiver. And he was going to be our starting X receiver in the game that week, and he popped his calf in pregame because uh, I think he was just probably running too much and he hadn't, hadn't been doing that. But Seneca Wallace, again, another ultimate football superstar, Hall of Fame at ultimate football over there in Kirkland at Northwest University. Um, incredible, incredible athlete. Probably, if he was playing in today's football, would would just be a star. But, um, you know, he, he was born too early, I guess. Well, I'm surprised no Joey Galloway on this list. 
Well, Joey Galloway and I never played together. Oh, okay. I was part you of the. Him. He got traded, and those trip, those draft picks okay. kind of brought me to Seattle. Got so it. I do know Joey, but um, now nah, he, he's not. He's not on this top five. Were uh. you not there when Brock ran the forty without his shirt on? Because I was told <laughs> that was one of the most athletic moments people had seen at the facility. Brock's running technique was very much like Steven Seagal in every Steven Seagal movie. Like it's it's very very uh, it's it's it's. Overacted, yeah. It's, a, it's great form running. Um, <laughs> uh, Brock was good in the weight room. Not there was one exercise I won't mention what exercise it was bench press, but he was that he was not good at. <laughs> but uh, but he was unbelievable at just about everything else. His like running squat was amazing. You know, incline was great, just not the bench. I don't know why. The first Weird. I worked out with Brock one time in Arizona after we'd known each other for years. The first time I ever started to respect him, I was like, oh. This guy really was a pro athlete. I, maybe I should shut my mouth and stop making fun of him for being a backup quarterback all those yeah. years. No, he he actually is a is a really amazing athlete, as is his well, wife, and that's no surprise why his kids and really all, all the Hewards are amazing athletes. Let's see. Uh, some some texters suggesting Corin Robinson, Earl Thomas, Sean Springs. <sighs> yeah, Shay, listen, Sean Springs easily could have made that list. Yes, Sean Springs is outstanding. and uh, But you know what knocked him off the list? There was a wild card game. We're playing Washington. And I, I don't know how, this is like Little Giants. It can only happen one time out of 100. I outran Sean Springs <laughs> to the corner of the end zone for a sliding touchdown. So had that play never happened, he might have been number one. Right. Because I saw what he did at Ohio State. But uh, I don't know. I just I, – I, I, Something about that just threw me off a little bit. There you go. Matt, thank you. It was a good uh, good time as always. Thank you for putting everybody back in a good mood. We needed it this week after Russell's injury and the loss, two and three. We'll see if they can get it done with Gino on Sunday, and we'll talk to you next Wednesday. Let's go, Gino. Let's get it done. Right, Thanks, there guys. Go. There you go. There's Matt Hasselbeck every Wednesday from 9 to 10. Uh, you can find that online at 710sports.com or go subscribe to the podcast. Jake and Stacy coming up next. We'll be with you guys tomorrow morning, 6 a.m. Jerry DePoto will join me at 830. Lots to look forward to. Talk to you then. See ya.